Hello and welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have our joke now. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Chris, alcoholic and joke teller. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hey, Chris. A man sat in front of his home contemplating his future he had just gotten a divorce lost his children been fired from his job and now faced eviction he noticed a case of beer bottles in his trash and walked up to it he took out an empty bottle and smashed it swearing you're why i don't have a wife he threw the second you're why i don't have my children a third you're why i lost my job but then he discovered a fourth bottle still sealed and full of beer he took it tucked it in his pocket and said stand aside my friend i know you were not involved <laughs> Okay, thank you for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that might make noise or will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away. And ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start the meditation.
Okay. Um, now we're going to do uh, the fog light prayer. So God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are sick and dying can find your love through me. Amen. So from page 17 of the big book, there is a solution. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. And I've asked Sarah to read Spiritual Experience. Hey, Sarah. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of a sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily to everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first law, in the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honesty facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need, no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a, a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer.
We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one. So it's kind of important to know what one is. Please uh, refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane or meeting mode or just turn it off. And now I'd like to introduce our speaker, Marion. Thank you, you made it. <laughs> I'm Marion, I'm alcoholic, Amen. recovered alcoholic. And thanks, Steve, we made it. Last time he tried to escort me, he stepped on my dress and I fell. So, <laughs> at my wedding reception. <laughs> and we did it. And I was really worried about having some kind of wardrobe uh, malfunction wearing a long, fancy dress tonight. But, uh, so it's really good to be with you all tonight. and. Alcoholics and God is my home group. If you're new here, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, this, there's, a, there's a gentleman named Don P. And he talks about, um, I was listening to a talk years ago. He wrote, he wrote, he said, talked about home being a place that we, they, and I'm going to botch this. But it's a place, the place where there's a sense of belonging. There's a place they have to let you come in and lay your head. And this is home. So I just thank all the warriors here at Alcoholics and God who put this thing together every single Monday night, every single Thursday night. You know, um, it's a gracious place to be. And I'm honored to be a part of it, always. So let's give it up for the Alcoholics and God crew, right? meeting of uh, you know class and I love it and I'm and I'm home here so I'm grateful to to uh, do this talk tonight I have no idea what God's going to say in and through me I'm you know from the last time I was at the podium to the time I'm at the podium tonight I'm I just it's always contemplative it's always God what do you have to say and and I don't have a um you know, I'm not speaking first step, I'm second step or 11th step or whatever. I get to just share my heart. It's been condensed from three nights to one night because Peter's going next week. And I just felt like I could blurt it all out in one night anyway. So this is how I feel about it. So um, I want to thank um, Claude and Isabel, our home group members that are on Zooming in tonight. Um, I hope I look okay on that part, but just trying to break the ice and get in my groove and um, so I have a sponsor her name is Polly P and she lives in Jacksonville Florida and she has a sponsor I sponsor lots of women and I can tell you one of the things that's really really on my heart tonight is 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 the the opposites the the giving and the receiving and the forgiving rather than to be forgiven. And the understand than to be understood. And, you know, it, it really just like on my heart is third step, seventh step, and eleventh step. Third step, seventh step, eleventh step. All coming from a place of things that give me the wheels, give me the motion to move through life day to day. In the certain trials and low spots. Certain trials and low spots that we're certain to have. 
you know, I, I've just noticed in my life that it's been a season of release and letting go and receiving. Um, you know, and I just want to, since the last time I was up here, this, this group has experienced, we've experienced some loss. You know, we've, Alan and, and, um, and I haven't been up here in quite a while. Alan M and, um, and Polly, you know, at the same time, and see, that's the extremes of life, and that's, we're not guaranteed anything sober. We're a guaranteed, you know, a day of, you know, permanent sobriety, day contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. That's what I'm guaranteed. And what does that maintenance mean? It means prayer and meditation. It means intensive work with other alcoholics. It means inventory. It means sharing. It means shoulder to shoulder. It means sponsoring. It means moving when I don't know where I'm going. You know, my sweetheart, you know, we're, we're going through a huge, some huge change in our life. And we don't know where everything is. It feels like we're walking through a narrow gate of, oh my gosh, I don't know where this is going. But at the same time, it's like, I know what I'm called to do. I know that my identity is I'm a child of God. And from that place, everything comes from there. You know, I'm not better than anybody else in this room, and I'm no less than anybody else in this room. And my Alcoholics Anonymous taught me that a long time ago, that this was the first place I could come in, lay my head, and rest. And rest. You know, some of the promises that talk about, you know, peace of mind. Some of the promises that talk about, you know, all the ninth step promises, the fifth step promises, the third step promises, promises over and over again that hundreds of promises that are, are promised to me in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous when I do this work, when I get into action, when I move my feet. See, what I've learned in my life, in my recovery of 32 freaking years, I came in here when I was 30 years old. I was so broken. I was so broken. And somehow I met this God of my understanding in that gift of desperation in my bright pink bathroom with my badly matted 80s perm in my hair. In my husband's boxer shorts and my Birkenstocks and socks. And, and somehow I saw something in the mirror that I'd never seen before. And what I call that and what we can call that is a gift of desperation. And I, had, I met God in that moment. I saw something in my eyes I'd never seen before. And that's the thing. Try as we may in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Sponsee after sponsee. Be desperate. Be hungry. Get to that place. I can't manufacture that for you. I can share my experience, strength, and hope, and I can share with you my desperation. But if you're desperate, this thing can work for you. <laughs> if, you should, if you should wish it above all else. <laughs> if you should wish it above all else. It's promised to you. If you should wish it above all else. Cars, money, property, prestige, 
Botox and bedevilments and all the crap that I talk about. You know, it doesn't mean crap without this relationship that I have with God. And see, what I thought for the longest time is I had to clean up that I had to clean up, pull myself up, and that's how this God was going to go, okay, now you're ready, Marion. Now I'll take you. But really what God did is he saved a wretch like me. How the heck does that happen? And that's the truth for every single one of us in this room. I believe this and I say this a lot. You know, if you're sitting in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, nothing's got you chained to that chair. I don't have the power. And in fact, if you were here and you were wanting to go on a run and you were wanting to go use and you were wanting to go get drunk, you know, I mean, we could all dogpile on you for a while. But if your disease is anything like mine is, there was no human power that could have relieved it. I wished it. I wanted it. I swore off it and I meant it every single solitary time. If I could just do it for those kids. I wanted to do it for them. You know, in my own fizzy water, my new favorite. As much as I wanted and as much as I tried and as much as how I felt, lack of power was my dilemma. There's this... uh, There's this man who wrote this book. And so I'm just going to share little nuggets of Peter's new sponsor he's had over the last year. It's like, it's a a conversation. Because I don't want to be up here and be like, oh, I'm the greatest teacher in the world. And I don't want to be, you know, this is a conversation. Peter, I'm stealing his lines. He'll probably share them with you next week. You know, it's, it's a deal of pitching and catching. You guys are with me. You're throwing that energy back to me, and I'm throwing that energy out to you. What a great life we have, right? And we come here and we commence on this common journey together, shoulder to shoulder. So I just want to read this. And it's the same, you guys have heard me talk about the ragamuffins. And this is by that same author, and I just love this. He's actually a man who um, spent time in ministry. But he also was an alcoholic. And he hit his bottom on Commercial Boulevard in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. How cool is that? <laughs> that now see the contradiction, right? That's horrible. Oh, that's great. <laughs> you know, at the same time. And that's the way life, life is lifey. This is the way things go. So I just wanted to read this passage in this book. That has to do with us. Those of us scarred by sin are called to closeness with him. (laughs) Those of us scarred by sin are called in closeness with him around his banquet table. The kingdom of God is not a subdivision for the self-righteous or for those who lay claim to private visions of doubtful authenticity and boast they possess the state secret of their salvation. No, it says, 
It's for the larger, homelier, and less self-conscious people who know that they are sinners because they have experienced the yaw and pitch of moral struggle. The men and women who are truly filled with light are those who have gazed deeply into the darkness of their own imperfect existence. And he says, goes on to say this, For 21 years I tried desperately to become Mother Teresa. I lived around the world in grimy poverty, depersonalized squalor. So, so this was a man who, who tried and worked and, and uh, gave his life to God and spent time in, in, in monasteries and ends up drunk on the street, kicked by a woman on Commercial Boulevard in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And God meets him there. He talks about this nun he's, who, who's broken, and he and he comes to this nun. This nun comes to him broken, and she had had all this abuse. And uh, and he gave her one prayer to say. And one of the words that this prayer he gave her, I was sharing this with Mike Chase, my friend back there, was just hold your hands like this and say, "Abba, I belong to you." It's the same amount of syllables as you breathe in, Abba. I belong to you. And somewhere in our identification as alcoholics, from this brokenness, from this squalor, from this, am I good enough? Am I too much? Oh, I think I'm all that. Oh, I'm not really enough. Comes this even place, this playing field that we come in called Alcoholics Anonymous, where this grace comes in, where this mercy comes in. And from this place of brokenness is where we find life, right? So we, we, we tell our stories. We tell our stories of our brokenness. And, 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 and the more broken, the better. It's like, here's my number. Give me a call, you know? None is sunk too low. How great a news is that? How great a news. So... In my, and I'm, I'm going to go back in my story a little bit because I know there's people who don't even know who the heck I am. It's not like I'm really anything. I'm Marion, and I'm an alcoholic. You know, I was born in the Pacific Northwest in Bellingham, Washington, a little hippie town. And um, I was one of six kids, and there was a lot of alcoholic neglect and abuse and um and I knew as a little girl, see, this is what it has to do with identity. I knew as a little girl there was these God girls that glowed in the dark, and they had God, and they were Karen and Kathy, and they had ribbons and bows, and then there was people like me who didn't have the dolls, who didn't have the ribbons and bows, and didn't have ruffles on their socks, and that was the way my life was. See, that's what, and I can, would compare myself to other people, and that's one of the things that is been kind of an anthem of my life is I'm not as good as her or oh, I must be better than this person or whatever you know and so I was always trying to be good enough for God and um, and in that house kids never came to our house because it wasn't wasn't the place to be you never knew what was going to be happening and at 15 years old I pick up my first drink of alcohol and I was at a high school dance, 
and I had a bottle of MD 2020. I ripped off at the store, and it was really a fancy first drink. I was in the stall of the bathroom, and I took the first chug down, and I threw up in the toilet, and then the next one went down, and it was warm and fuzzy, and it was everything. See, that little dirty girl that I was when I was growing up was gone in that instant. Gone. Found a panacea for my ills. I, I was home. Like, home with this? I was home then. You know, at 18 years old, I, I'm at a party, and I see this guy, and I think he's... He's getting in a fight on the other side of the room. Because, see, I was always the one who was playing God in my family, trying to break up my mom and dad's fights. My brothers and sisters would send me downstairs to break up the fight. And so I could do that. I could just smile and be cute for my dad. And I could dance and I could sing and, you know, break up the fight. And I, I didn't have any reason to, to want God, you know, or need God because I was playing God. And I didn't think I was good enough for God. And um, when I looked across the room that night, I thought it was love at first sight. I'm breaking, here's this guy in a fight, and I'm in love. But the reality of that was living life forward and understanding it backwards is I had found my father. I had been fixing my father my whole life, and now I got somebody else to fix. And um, we're, I get pregnant, we're off having kids. I have three babies in a row, and there's stair steps, you know, between my oldest one, Brandon, and Jake. There's 15 months in between my daughter and Jake. There's only, like, 14 months. And I had a baby, had a baby, had a baby. And I'm the alcoholic housewife, and I'm trying to take care of these kids. And, and what I'm doing from the outside with these kids looks pretty good. You know, we ended up... My mom got really sick. We got my mom and dad's old house. We built immediately built a sandbox, immediately built a tree house. Immediately, you know, we, we bought him a, a trampoline and, and an above-ground swimming pool. And so, and I'm, and I'm washing towels so my kids have clean towels. And I'm washing socks so my kids all have clean socks. All the things I never cook in the meal. And in the meantime, getting them to bed and drinking just enough till I can get through the night, you know? And what it's looking like on the outside is everything I never had when I was a little kid. Everything I never had. And um, so my kids are four, five, and six. I take a job at a grocery store because my husband was self-employed. And I've got to have insurance to insure the family, health insurance. And... Um, and at four, when my daughter, youngest was four years old, I got pregnant with my fourth child. And we were really excited. We had these stair-step children, and now I'm going to have a baby. I'm going to have a baby, and the kids are all excited. And on October 19th, 1986, I gave birth to my son, Brian Daniel. And three months and three days later, three days before that, I'd gone back to work at the grocery store. And... Um, and on that third day, on January 22nd, 1987, my little sister was babysitting him at her house, and she went into the bedroom to pick him up, and he was purple. And she came running out of the bedroom with him. And we took off to the hospital and, and ran into the emergency room, and the nurse said, your son is dead on arrival. And my son had died a crib death in my sister's bedroom. 
And later that same year in August, um, my mom um, died in August that same year. She had emphysema and cancer, and my mom died in August, and Brian had died in January, and I was crazy. There was not enough alcohol I could put in my body. There was not enough substance I could put in my body to kill the pain. And all I thought was, I'm going, I'm going crazy. And I went to see this therapist, and this therapist says to me, she goes, when you lose a child, you lose your future, and when you lose a parent, you lose your past. Marion, you're having trouble living in today. And I often look at the first page of, of, of Bill Wilson's story where he talks about the ominous warning. You know, and God had given me many warnings along the way. You know, I believe that we have angels in our life. I, I believe there's people that speak into our life. You know, uh, so many things that would happen. Like old timers would tell me this, that, you know, God loves drunks just because we're so fun to watch. And it, it's true. I mean, I don't know about you guys. If you can't look back at your story and look at situations, places you ended up like, how did I get here? How did I live through this one? How did I live through that? You know, how did I? How did it happen? And I believe God was. And then we come into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and where's God? How did we? How do we even find God? But we're, the reality is, God's kept us safe all the way through, all the way through. And um. And so I'm just, my, my little brother was like living under a bridge and he was busy sticking alcoholic form into his arm with a needle. And my little sister was taking pills and drinking in the morning and my big sister is smoking more weed than Bob Marley. And you know, like all this stuff. And I'm comparing and looking at their outsides and going, oh my God, if they would just get their crap together. And that little brother of mine that lived under the bridge says to me one day one of these days you're going to take a good long hard look in the mirror ominous warning November 11th 1989 the day after my 30th birthday that I got drunk twice that day I went to Denny's for breakfast in the morning and I was drinking Bloody Mary's I went home and I passed out and I went out again that night with my matted hair and my leopard print shirt No matter how much I drank that night, I can remember how that feels, right? We can't remember what we had for breakfast yesterday, but we can remember how we felt, how, how dark it felt before the dawn, right? How dark it was before the dawn. And it was dark. My little brother had said that and the next morning in my bright pink bathroom, my matted hair, my husband's boxer shorts and a hoodie, I looked in the mirror and saw something I'd never seen before. And before we go into how it works, it says, we stood at the turning point. See, we don't get God once we've worked all those steps. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Here are the steps we took. Spiritual tools laid at our feet. I didn't know for years. I didn't know for years. I would say from behind the podium that my big sister just happened to show up at Lincoln Street. But apparently I called her. She told me years later, like, you called me. <laughs> I don't remember doing that. 
But what had happened was I had this next door neighbor that grew up next door to me. And he um, had gone to treatment for things he was putting up his nose about six months before that. And Daryl was six months sober. And he'd gone to treatment. So the thought had come to me when I looked in the mirror, I need to go. I never thought that before. See, somewhere in that opening, somewhere in that gap, somewhere in that place, God crashed into my life and gave me an idea. And uh, my sister came, I left my kids, I went to treatment in the boxer shorts, in the hoodie, with the matted hair, in the Birkenstocks, with the socks. Because back in 89, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. Do you do an intake? Do you call and make, you know, whatever? I don't know. I just showed up. And uh, I showed up there that day, and, um, and they diagnosed me. See, I thought, I was like, I was still in denial about drinking. I was kind of thinking, oh, it's just the stuff I stick up my nose or they smoke or whatever, you know? And they, they diagnosed, and I did, they did my intake, and I'm going through the whole thing. And what they do is they tell me I'm a late second stage chronic alcoholic. And I'm like, whoa, hey. I thought everybody just does this stuff. Doesn't everybody black out? Check. Doesn't everybody, you know, doesn't everybody do this stuff? And, um, and so I stayed, and I stayed that 30 days, and I'm grateful for that. And... Um, but what ended up happening is, see, my disease centers in my mind. I have an allergy of the body, and I have, and I have a disease that centers in my mind. And I'm laying in detox. It's the third day. And, you know, I've often told people this, that there was people in treatment. I'm laying in detox, and I'm miserable. And there's these sober people playing Nerf golf right outside of my detox room and and they're laughing and they're having a great time and I'm just thinking oh my god the losers they're sober they're playing nerf golf what is with them and then the next thought that came to my mind because see God there was an opening there was hope that came in and the next thought that came to my mind oh they're losers what are they doing to oh and you're having so much fun laying in detox Marion really and, um, and so I'm there the third day. And the third day, I had the thought came to me. The thought came to me that I'd overreacted. <laughs> like, what are you doing here, Miriam? Why are you in detox? Time to go home to the kids. You're feeling better. Everything's going to be okay. See, long before that, what had happened with my three little kids... is that on Sunday mornings there was a Baptist preacher that would come and pick them up in a Sunday school bus and take them to church. And that worked really good for me because they would be gone from 9 o'clock in the morning to 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And if you're an alcoholic housewife, that's some pretty good free babysitting time. Nursing a hangover. And my kids had found this God of their understanding in that time. And um, 
And so I had found this God. I had found this God, but I couldn't stay sober through my children, right? Through my children finding that relationship with God, I found a relationship with God. But I drank and I drank and I drank. And I was like, how do you have a heart with the Holy Spirit in it, a relationship with God, and I can't stop drinking, and I can't stop drinking. And this third day I'm laying in detox, and I know I've overreacted and it's time to go. But see what I never knew about you guys? I never knew about you. I never knew about Alcoholics Anonymous. And these two drunks came into my room. And they sat at the end of the bed. One was a nurse. Her name was Becky T. And she didn't come to tell me about my medical problem. And there was a therapist named Steve N. And he didn't come in to therapize me. (laughs) They were two recovered alcoholics. And they didn't talk down to me. They didn't say, what's your problem? They didn't say, why don't you get your crap together for your kids? They need you. (laughs) They didn't say stuff like that. I just, I don't know what they said. I know the spirit in which they said it. Because I always believe this, that uh, that day... This God that I'd found that I didn't think I was good enough for because I can't stay sober now. Now I got God in my heart, living in my heart. I can't stay sober. But I always believe that in that St. Joe's Hospital on that floor, in that detox, in that moment, that this God of my understanding sent me you guys. And I'd like to say that's the only time that this thing tried to take me back out. I worked the first three steps of Alcoholics Anonymous in my little treatment center style, you know. And I earned a night out. I earned a night out in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I got to go to dry dock. (laughs) And it just so happened. See what happened in my early recovery. It was all these coincidences, things that started happening that I couldn't explain. Just the way that God does those things in my life today. And I could tell you stories after this meeting. Wow. You know what I mean? And uh, and they sent me my first temporary sponsor. The only woman I knew that was sober on the planet. And she just happened to be coming to take me to dry dock on a Friday night. She comes to pick me up on Friday night. And we go to dry dock. And I'm like, it's Friday night. Now I am really, I'm a loser now. I'm going to this meeting. It's full of smoking and ashtrays. The floors are like this. The, the, the radiator's clanking. The train's going by. And it's like, great, this is what my life has come to. This is what my life has come to. And um, 
And there's a woman who shared her story. It's a little Native American woman who was sitting back on the church bench. I don't know if I ever saw her again. I couldn't tell you who she was. See, the power in the story, the power in the identification. Here's my brokenness. And you can relate. You know, I, I often tell girls I sponsor and, and people I work with, we're, we're given a superpower, man. We're given a power to save lives. There's policemen that save lives and firemen that save lives and nurses that save lives and doctors that save lives. And what do we do? We screw up our life royal and we share our story and we help save another life. How cool is that? Our deepest, darkest moments, the, the most horrific things of our life help save somebody else's life and that's what those people did for me and that's what that woman did at dry dock that night and you know I haven't had a drink since that it's never one more time again it happened I was at a wedding I was holding on to a four-step my sponsor had died and I'm sitting at the table and somehow there was this thing I hadn't been going to meetings I hadn't been sharing with my sponsor and I was standing there in a black, or sitting there in a blackout, a, a sober blackout, really, and a drink was in my hand, and I didn't even know it. Something came between me and that drink. I threw that drink down, and I was out. And guess where I went? Dry dock. Guess where I went? In the book. Guess what I did? I was with the fellowship. Guess what I did? I prayed, and guess what I did? I moved through that fifth step because if you don't do a fifth step, you'll drink a fifth. What did they say? Say, drink a fifth, do a fifth, whatever. Something like that. So I've been around these rooms ever since. The Northwest group in Bellingham was my home group for 20 years. They brought in a guest speaker. His name was Peter M. I was on the committee and it was like, bring the guy from Jersey, you know. And God, you know... Um, that marriage went bad, obviously. You know, there was some abuse and there was a lot of stuff going on there. And in 2004, I left. And in 2010, I was on my way down here. And I can tell you, I have a life that I never thought I would ever have. And in those extremes that I was talking about, it's like sometimes, you know, Mike Chase, he, you know, I hope you don't mind me sharing this. Um, because I'm gonna. Um, in those extremes in life, you know, that I want to remodel my house and, oh my God, it burns down and I get to remodel my house. Um, I want to um, lose weight so I get sick or whatever. The extremes in my life, you know, that uh, I got married to the man of my dreams and at the same time I lost a good friend and my friend is mourning her the loss of her husband you know these 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 extremes I you know it's been a hard week um, my my granddaughter was um, victim of a of a violent of being jumped 13 years old and these girls came and jumped her and they filmed it all what's the extreme in that they filmed it all and put it on social media 
And because of that, they know who to arrest. Okay, so you know what I'm saying? The extreme of, oh, they filmed it, but now we know who it is. When we talk about step seven and we talk about, God, I'm now willing that you would have all of me good and bad. Good and bad. I don't know what's good and I don't know what's bad. Right? And, um, and that I have a disease that's selfish and self-centered. You know, breaking down that third step prayer and saying, God, I offer myself to thee. To build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. See, there's a difference. When I release the self, that's what I, I'm, I'm in bondage to self. And I need to be released to that, to, to walk in God's will and to be all that God has called me to be. Offer myself to thee. Build with me and do with me as thou will. Relieve me of the bondage of self so I may better do thy will. And connecting to that every single day. And I don't do any of that perfect. I can't say I do any of that perfect. But, um, but I know with that comes a place of... Um, Forgiveness comes a place of my own self-forgiveness. You know, when I can see the manifestations of self happening, when I practice that third step prayer on a daily basis, I know I'm kind of all over the place, but I got one shot to throw this all out. So I'm just trying to do it. You know what I'm saying? I feel alive and connected to that third step prayer over the last bit of my life than I ever have. Because see, when I see those manifestations of, of self happen, I can connect to that prayer in an instant. Because see, I, if this makes any sense, I'm not self. Okay? Self is bondage. The bondage of self. And what does that look like? It looks like a hundred forms of fear. It looks like an actor trying to direct the show. It looks like... Pride, anger, greed, lust, envy, sloth. All those things that are manifestations of alcoholism. And that's not who I am. Who I am and who I be is a child of God. A loving child of God. And that's who you are too. So I just pray that God um, keeps us in that place to always just walk in his will. And to be in that place of, of learning to be a little easy on ourselves when we do see the self happen. Because it's gonna. This is something that's gonna happen the rest of our lives as long as we're parts of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I think I have shared all I have in me. I'm looking forward to Peter next week. I'm looking forward to seeing you all, and thanks so much. Okay, guys, let's give Marion one more round of applause. And now I'm going to ask Joey to come do the second period of the Hello, Ayo. there we are. Uh, hello, everyone. I am now your recovered alcoholic secretary. Um, oh, I am Joey. I am a recovered alcoholic. 
Grateful to be here. Grateful for the promotion. Huh? No. Um, In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, we are passing baskets around. Um, As they're going around, I've asked a beautiful sacred member of this group, a beautiful man named Douglas, to come up here and read the recovered statement, who is also passing the baskets. That's okay. Um, We read this to explain my many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Douglas? Or, thank you, Javi. All right. Please welcome Douglas. I'm Douglas Alcoholic here. We are not cured of alcoholism, recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we're not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem with the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now saying where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Douglas. All right. 1940-style Big Book sponsorship from the forward of the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. Awesome. Um, At this time, is anyone out there in need of a sponsor that would like to raise their hand? All right. It's okay if you're shy. I was for sure. All right. Um, That's okay. Just to... um, Now I'm going to ask anyone that's a recovered alcoholic, please raise your hand. If anyone was too shy, please see one of the uh, members with their hand raised. They'd they'd love to give you a good conversation. Um, All right. So we have a slideshow. Um, All right. Inner group. Pop over there. It's where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating the where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and pay them a visit. Next. So, BCIC, what a great organization. It is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us cannot get out to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, rehabs. They meet monthly to organize these meetings uh, at the 12-step house. Do we have any BCIC members here? The lovely Javi. Thank you, sir. Please see Javi if you would like to join or any more info. Thank you. Um, 
Last slide. All right. So here are some upcoming service opportunities. Flyers are in the back as well. Um, we got a picnic. hey Um On Sunday, October 30th. Uh, well, it's the first planning meeting for the picnic, right? Just kidding. I can't read. Okay. Picnic, October 30th. Hopefully you guys can. Sunday, the June 26th. At 2, 12-step house, great meeting spot, by the way. Um, go in there and you can plan that stuff. Uh, uh, Florida State Convention. Um, oh, cool. At uh, Fort Lauderdale Beach. Um, they still do need volunteers, evidently. Um, Saturday, May 21st at 9 a.m. You know, do some service. God bless. That would be nice. Um, and I think that's it for announcements. One more. Just kidding. I fooled you guys. Um, Peter M., who the heck's that? I'm just kidding. We love Peter. Um, so uh, 12-step series. Peter M. is starting up again graciously. Um, and we're having what's called the hot dog extravaganza. And that's... Thank you, yes. It's free um, for anyone to attend. It's a great time. Hot dogs, Peter M., what's not to love? Um, and it's right here. So we're very excited for that. Um, one more. Hey, this is my home group. Good time. Um, so here, Monday nights, right upstairs, third floor. Can't miss it. Um, Actually, you can miss it. Just go upstairs. You'll see it. All the way up. Um, Mondays, 7.15. Um, fellowship starts at 6.30. It's the, it's the big book study. Big book comes alive. Um, it's tremendous. Um, we go through the book page by page. A lot of great fellowship. A lot of great sharing. Um, it's been my home group since forever. So um, would love to see you there. That's it, right? I apologize. This is not going well. All right. So here we go. Um, As you can see, beautifully displayed in the back on your way out, we do still have CDs, mugs, large room big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries that are for sale. Um, We meet every Thursday, probably starting at 7.15. We ask to be curious and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thank you all. See you next week. Okay, um, we have tonight's session and all past speaker speakers uh, on podcast at alcoholicsandgod.org. Um, like Joey said, come out to our Monday night big book study. And um, to those who wish to um, thank this tonight's speaker, you can line up down the center aisle. And after the meeting, if you could stack your chairs and leave them where they are, your help would be appreciated. Um, but with that, we'll close with the Lord's Prayer. All right. A moment of, this, of silence for the still sick and suffering alcoholics in and out of the program and the children and families who have no say-so in the matter. Our Father, Lord in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is day, our daily bread. 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Oh, um. 
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
the light Count my blessings when I go to sleep at night And I dream now that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
me and I got one man that steals my dignity. Got one man that just won't set me free. Okay. 